Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, May 31st, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, tonight or Tuesday night, as we're recording at the Lyceum Theater, will be the official Broadway opening of Grey House. Yes. However, there will not be reviews tonight, not just here nope. on Two Broadway orders. Radio. Yeah, because there was an illness in the cast last week, which is why I actually didn't get to see the show like I was supposed to. Same and same. Um, yeah, were we going on the same night? I think we were. I'm pretty positive, uh, yeah. Now yeah, I think we're like supposed to go on Wednesday. Weeks or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we weren't able to go because there was an illness in the cast, and obviously they wanted that full ca- company to be uh, seen by any critics. So they pushed back the the reviews. Will now come out at in uh, for online will come out after 8 p.m. on Thursday the 1st and then in print on Friday morning. So you will see opening night stuff on social media. They are having the big thing, but they want to give critics a few more days to get in and see it before the reviews come out. Uh, So we'll talk more about that. Highly looking forward to actually getting to see this show whenever I'm back in town next Um, and excited to hear all of the reviews later this week. At the end of the show, you will hear me talk about the last three slash four shows that I saw on my trip. Um, some exciting stuff. If you don't follow me on social media, you might be surprised uh, at some yeah. of the things I have to say at the end. So we will get to that. But of course, if you want to like hear not, all of our content. Actually. Well, I feel like anyone I mean, maybe who's not- followed you long enough understands your taste in shows. It will not be at all surprised. Like- I feel like I have a fairly wide, divergent, disparate you do, taste palette. But you but have very think, specific obsessions, like yes, Legally um, Blonde and Mean Girls and the yes, sh- show we're going to talk about at the end of the show. I'm not going to talk about that show in terms of the specifics because it isn't open yet, <laughs> yeah. but I will give some facts. Uh, but anyways, we'll talk about that. If you want to hear all of our conversations, head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash patreon. You can hear them before anyone else. Now, actually, we do have to start the show with some like fairly serious organized labor union news. Yeah. We're going to start Non-stop. with a report that first original or first originated on Friday in The Hollywood Reporter. And it appears that the Writers Guild of America has asked all Tony nominated members. So any WGA member that is a Tony nominee this season, they have asked them not to attend the awards. What they're saying is that if you would like, you can pre-tape an acceptance speech in case you win and CBS slash Paramount Plus can air it, or you can have somebody go in your place to give a speech. Uh, this is just the sure. latest development in, in, the, uh, in the contract negotiation between the WGA and the AMPTP, which Paramount Global is a, is a member of and trying to figure out what the next contract between these organizations is going to be. And as we've said before, I understand that strikes are supposed to hurt. They are supposed to hurt not only the sure. organization that yeah. they are striking against, but inherent to that is the fact that members of the unions that are striking will be impacted by that. And I understand yeah. that, it, you know, the biggest hurt, of course, is like, not working so people aren't getting paid but this like i feel like i understand and i support that but like i feel bad for these writers like for sometimes like this is the culmination of an entire life's work and some of them may never have an opportunity to have this uh to have this this chance to be a tony nominee in the theater at a tony awards ever again so 
I was I gonna understand. say that is the very specific part because it, I mean you're still you know if they win they are still winning. It's not like they lose that 100%. honor or anything, and it's not like the WGA is taking that away at all. They're taking away the pomp and circumstance of it, and I think that's important to remember from both sides of it because I'm very two minds of it. Of the if you've been working on something for a really long time and you're hoping for all the glitz and glamour of winning the award, you want that. But again, it still doesn't take it away, and this is obviously a very complicated issue and a very complicated strike yeah it's it, it, it it's just one of those things where it's like it just sucks all around like i mean we know yeah, this is part the of the line. deal it just sucks and again this is we it, the the story is that the wga sent this email to all of the tony nominees that are right. members but this is not necessarily the wga's fault um they are the ones no, no, no. that are striking yeah. but this is because the studios have really made it impossible for for writers to make a living wage uh, and yep. and it, this is one of those byproducts where organized labor is making a stand for not only the current writers but future generations of writers as well and so people who are currently members have to bear the brunt of that not only for themselves and their peers but also yeah. the next generation so uh, this sucks and i hate this uh yeah. but i understand it and support it yeah and the best practice rule of thumb other than some very obvious exceptions is to listen to your union and your union leaders in circumstances like this 100%. when you're trying to not cross a picket line like you said it sucks it's it's a kind of a mess across the board but you know you have to be very conscious and deliberate of the language that a lot of people are using when talking about the strike and who's responsible for what and that's a very important part point that that's it's not the wga's fault yeah all right. Well, the next union related story that we have to talk about, I don't Love know that it. it's going to lead in a strike, but it is, I'm 100% leading to probably arbitration. And that is the fact that local 802 of the American Federation of Musicians has officially filed a, an objection to the upcoming Broadway musical Here Lies Love. That show is scheduled to begin pre previews on June 17th at the Broadway Theater. The theater is important. We will get back to that. Mm -hmm. But this is a show that has been playing for years. We've, we've seen it off-Broadway at the Public Theater. It's been in London. It's been in Seattle. And in every single one of those productions over the past 17 years since its first conception – has used pre-recorded tracks. That means that there has been singing cast members uh, performing over music that has been recorded, and there are no actual musicians playing live for the show. This obviously causes a problem with a, a local 802 because according to their contract with the Broadway League, that contract requires that there are 19 musicians for any musical that plays the Broadway theater. The number of musicians Ooh. varies based off of the size of the theater and being that the Broadway theater is one of the biggest right. on Broadway, that is a fairly large number. There are stipulations in the contract that can be consider shows to be special circumstances in which the you can apply for that, and there is um, a whole process, which I'll get into here in a minute, that can allow that to happen. But the thing with this is, is one of those special circumstances, one of the things that they will look at 
is to whether or not it is important for the show to be done this way. According to Adrian Brian yeah. Brown, who is the famous spokesperson and press rep um, for shows that they, uh, he is working on this show, said in a statement, quote, Since Here Lies Love was first conceived 17 years ago, every production has been performed to pre-recorded track. And here's where it gets important. This is part of the karaoke, karaoke genre inherent to the musical and the production concept. The music for Here Lies Love was inspired by the phenomena of track acts, which allowed mm-hmm. club audiences to keep dancing, much like this production aims to do. We have seen this type of argument made many times, and sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't. It was yeah, also sometimes used it's a cost-cutting all- thing, and that it doesn't 100%. seem like it's that here. Yeah, and even dating back to, like, I remember Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which is uses yeah. a lot of like drag performance which is inherently lip syncing um mm-hmm. so there's some pre-recorded stuff there so there was a pre-recorded music in uh Priscilla Queen of the Desert as well and um even Little Prince which was on Broadway uh, at the Broadway Theater actually just was that last year or two years ago? I don't remember. This past um, season, I think I it was. Remember. I think it was technically part of the season. I honestly don't. Remember. Yeah, maybe last summer. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, last summer sounds right. Yeah, they used all recorded tracks, but since this show was not Tony eligible and it had a very short, limited run, yeah. the union did not object to that. Um, but it, because this is inherent to the story and inherent to the concept of the show, that is the leg that Here Lies Love is going to stand on. So what is sure. going to happen is they're going to negotiate. And um, they've been going back and forth to kind of get this special situation. They will allow this request to be assessed by a panel of neutral observers. That includes reps from the Broadway League and 802. Um, and however long that takes is how long it'll take. There is no set period. Of course, that ruling can then be appealed to arbitration, which will be binding. So whatever happens in this going in front of this neutral observers of mm-hmm. Broadway League and Musicians Union members, which seems like they are not that neutral as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, you can almost assume that it'll be appealed. And then whatever the arbitrator decides will be what happens. Really so fascinating. I, yeah. I would have to guess that even if the local 802 wins – I don't think there's going to be musicians in this show. They might be paid. I don't know if that's possible. Like they might just be paid uh to be there and maybe they play along with the tracks. I don't know, but like yeah, I this guess. is what the show is. That's the thing. You know? Like I was trying to think of an alternative that would make sense to the way that the show is structured and built, and that would really be the only thing that makes sense. But even then, it doesn't make sense. Like, I understand both sides of the argument, obviously. But this is one of those circumstances where it's like, this is how we've built this show. This is how, I mean, it came from a concept album, obviously, and then Mm -hmm. developed into the show. And it's been this way in every incarnation of it. So, you know, you, you've got to protest it as, the union and as musicians yes, <laughs> like that has to happen uh, especially for whatever precedent this sets but as the creators of the show you also have to fight back that's a really good point that even if local 802 understands why this needs to happen artistically mm-hmm. they can't just let it go like it is part of the responsibility yeah, of totally. a union to put your foot down and say we can't let this happen we don't want this to be a snowball in the future yep. i think it is also interesting and even members of 802 are quoted in a new york times story saying like this just kind of sucks because it's a david byrne show after he just had an entire broadway show yeah. where everybody on stage pretty much <laughs> yeah. was playing an instrument uh-huh. so it is kind of a little ironic um 
but we'll see what happens with this. But, I, I but don't, that's also showing that it's not like the intent of David Byrne to totally. like leave all these musicians out of a show. Very obviously dedicated to music yes. and musicians and the craft of making music. So this isn't like an intentional snub of like, well, we could do this in a better way. It's the way that the show was structured. And that's kind of just how it is. Yeah. All right, let's move on to some show and casting news. I don't know what this show is, so to speak, as we're talking about show and casting news. But whatever it is, I am going to be there, I think, on first preview if I possibly can. Because apparently, in an interview with Nancy O'Dell, Kelly Clarkson said she is, quote, writing something for Broadway. (laughs) Here we go. Let's just be clear. She does not say she is writing a Broadway musical. She does not say she is writing music for Broadway because – while I'm sure she is credited on many of the songs that she sings, like the reason that a lot of the songs or multiple songs in Anne Juliet are from the Max Kelly Clarkson catalog songs, yeah. is because Max Martin wrote them. Um, so she doesn't say she's writing a musical. I mean, I think we can probably assume that she is, but she does not say that straight out. Um, right. But I really feel like the Kelly Clarkson to Sarah Bareilles comp is probably fairly good, yeah. even though <laughs> they are different types of pop stars. But like, very much. Sarah Bareilles has talked about like how she grew up wanting to do this and kind of went a very circuitous route to get to Broadway. And now this is like her home. Kelly Clarkson said in the interview, uh, I'm in love with theater and Broadway and all of that. I never thought I'd get a chance to do anything like that. Um, then she talks about eventually I'd love to do something on Broadway. She yes, says I'm please. in the works of writing something. But then she goes on to say, uh, I don't like acting in movies and TV, although from Justin to Kelly with love, like, let's make that a Broadway Shout musical, out. whatever. Yes, but she goes on, but I do love stage stuff. I think because that's kind of how I grew up. And I like that it's you, like, you don't have to, re- or you don't have to repeat it 50 times. Like, you could, it's new every time. Sure. Um, so like, she talks about wanting to do it. So like, I'm, I'm here for it. I love it. I love say, Kelly we're Clarkson. obviously very on board with all of this. Yeah, whatever it is, whatever yeah. it is. It could be her Speaking- just sitting at a stool talking for all I care. Well, obviously, oh I hope God. she's singing, but. Like, I wouldn't mind her doing like a, a, a Springsteen type show. What was that called? Yeah. Uh, I forget what the. Springsteen on whatever. Broadway. Was it just for Springsteen on Broadway? Yeah, yeah. Like, I would love her to do that because she's great. Like, and I love her. The talk show is great. I love the uh, the banter she does on The Voice. So, anyway, speaking yes, of, please. like, Grammy-winning stars, yesterday yeah. it was reported that Erica Badu, four-time Grammy Award winner herself, will make a special cameo appearance, including a musical performance in Netflix's film adaptation of August Wilson's The Piano Lesson. Ooh. Don't know what that's going to be, but this mm-hmm. cast is obviously incredible. John David Washington, Samuel L. Jackson, um, Ray Fisher, Michael Potts, all coming back from the, this recent Broadway revival. They are being joined by Corey Hawkins and Danielle Deadweiler. Malcolm Washington, John David Washington's brother and Denzel Washington's son, is making God, his the feature. the nepotism <laughs> babies of it all. Yes, but John David Washington <laughs> Exceptional, is yes. No like, doubt about it. Don't get me wrong. Yes. Of course, Denzel is one of the producers of this as he is working his way through all of Wilson's American Century cycle. Um, in other news, up in Maine at the Agonquit Playhouse, they have announced the casting for their upcoming stage version of Singing in the Rain. that will run June 15th through July 15th. Starring as the great Don Lockwood will be Max Clayton, who is always wonderful in everything that he does. Mm-hmm. Playing Cosmo Brown will be Christian Probst. And Kiara Trenta Lang will play uh, Kathy Selden. 
Also in the cast will be Greg Jackson as Roscoe, Kate Lepreste as Lena Lamont, which is a role that I guarantee you in every production steals the show, Lance Roberts, and more of the entire cast in the show notes. And then... In what has become an annual tradition, New York City Center has tweeted out what appears to be, and I think we are all guessing and assuming, very quick video hints as to what the shows will be for next season's Encores uh, uh, slate. They're just running through them real quick, but what the three images are is a pair of lips with a tongue out. A quarter note, just a single quarter note, and it looks like a sky with a bunch of stars in it. I have no idea what this means. Um, yeah, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I've I been out in the sun too much to you, and I haven't seen the videos yet to even wager guesses. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure. Um, I've heard some good ones like taboo might be in there or Hedwig might be in there. I think Hedwig probably doesn't make sense because we just had it on Broadway. Somebody right. referenced the fact that there's a single quarter note, like that might be Johnny one note from the show babes in arms. Um, wow. That is very specific, but yeah, maybe. very specific. <laughs> um, but I don't know. There's some really good ideas in here. Um, I mean, the logo with the lips and the tongue looks very much like the Rolling Stones logo. I don't think that's what I was musical. No, but that's what I, when you described it as such, that's what I was picturing. So that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I don't know if we've heard everything from like, um, I've seen a lot of jelly's last jam to, Ooh, um, yeah, even starlight expressed with the stars <laughs> in there. I don't think that's going to be it, but God. it should be interesting. A, a lot of Titanic guesses in there. Yeah. To bright star four years after it was on Broadway. Uh, <laughs> but who knows? We will, we will have to wait and see. Um, real quick, got some feel good recommendations. There's a very cool clip from New York, New York that has been released in honor of the very first Manhattan Hinge, uh, which was taking place on Tuesday night, the first uh, time yep. that that happens. If you know, if you yeah. know, and there's a pivotal scene in the show that features that. And then also on pivotal. Tuesday, <laughs> don't go there. Uh, <laughs> Betsy Wolf and Lorna Courtney performed That's the Way It Is on Good Morning America. Good. So check those out. All right, I want to wrap up the show by talking about the last three things that I saw in New York, or four, depending on how we want to count this. Um, after Grace and I recorded Friday's episode, I went and saw King James over the Manhattan Theater Club, the off-Broadway ah, show. Yeah. Um, it stars Glenn Davis and Chris Perfetti of, of Abbott Elementary Abbott, fame. Abbott, tell you. Yeah, written by Rajiv Joseph and directed by Kenny Leon. Um, it was a good show. I don't know that it was yeah. profound and as as impactful yeah. as I thought a Rajiv Joseph and Kenny Leon show would be. I also have yeah. to wonder, Ashley, as somebody who is from the state of Ohio, is a sports Correct. fan from the state of Ohio, Correct. and is a fan of LeBron James, Correct. Like, are people who are not me going to get a lot of this show? Like, when they talk about It's LeBron, really interesting, yeah. Yeah, like, are people going to understand when they talk about LeBron blocking Iggy yeah. In the finals, are they going to talk about the very famous block from behind on LeBron James on uh, Golden State Warrior forward Andre Iguodala? Like, I knew you're what ready. that meant. I knew the play. You're ready to join the show at any time. I am. I had, I I had people in my audience. There was like, I would say about three or four people who were reacting to very specific references like that. Okay. And everyone else was kind of just like enjoying, cause that's mainly at the end. Everyone else was kind of just enjoying the wind down of the show, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I liked uh, anyway, it. So, 
I, it grew on yeah, me more than nice the show. first uh, opinions that I had that I texted you. And I, I kind yeah. of already talked to Grace about it on the show that I felt like there was something missing in terms of like, it felt like I there agree. were scenes missing to me, to the build yeah, up. I think that's but, very fair. I think that's very fair. But I enjoyed um, it. Yeah. So that was on Thursday. On Friday, um, Grace, uh, F. Michael Haney and I went and saw. Heard of him. A preview performance of Once Upon a One More Time. Here we go. Here's the yeah. thing. This show is in previews. I mean, it's still, it's not going to open for like three, four weeks. So I cannot talk about my thoughts. I cannot give a review. I cannot talk about the plot. Yeah. I'm not going to do any of that. All I'm going to do is I'm going to give you facts. Okay. Fact, fact number <laughs> fact one. one. Grace Aki and I stood up twice mid show and applauded wildly. Two different Some might times. even call it a standing ovation. Some might. I'm not saying that because I think that infers or implies some sort of praise for what was happening. I'm not saying that. Sure. You are saying it. I did not. I, I've um, never seen the show, so I cannot comment. Correct. Also, and probably the most telling, but I'm not giving any any value judgment based off of this statement. Sure. I saw this show with Grace and F on Friday night. I did not have a show scheduled for Saturday night. So I bought a ticket to go back to the Marquee Theater and see Once Upon a One More Time for a second time <laughs> on Saturday night. Hated it. Hated I, it. I cannot say that because uh, I all mean, to be fair, are embargoed. As, as what you are saying right now, that you've seen the show twice, means that you've at least bought one ticket. So you're Correct. not technically beholden, but I think I mean, you might be a I little am. beholden talking on a I'm, show. I'm beholden. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not making any comments on the quality or the plot or my specific feelings on the show. Yeah. You just I'm like just to stand and clap. Facts. Yeah, you needed a standing and clapping break. I your, need, yes, both your, my your, fingers. Your legs and your wrists were yes. getting tired. So 100%. 100%. Yeah, that is the only enough. reason I did that. Um, in between my two trips to the Marquee Theater, I went to the Hudson and saw A Doll's House. I have heard some um, some criticisms online, including from uh, Broadway star Jelani Aladdin, who said that this show was little more than a podcast performance because – if you yeah. have seen the show or read the reviews, there ain't no set. Literally, there is no set on stage Chair. at all. The entire set has some chairs that people move on and off stage. There is very little movement on stage. There is a a, a turntable, but most yeah, of the of action course. happens with people sitting on the chairs, either looking at each other or not looking at each other. Most of the time, not looking at each other. And I understand that. And in many, many cases, I would agree with Jelani on that statement that it, what he said was essentially like, this is a, this is a, a multi-sensorial medium. Give me something to look at. Yeah. And I would normally understand that. But my God, the performances in this show, especially from Jessica Chastain, and then as uh, Torvald kind of loses it at the end of the show, uh, Arian mm -hmm. Moyad as well, they are, breathtaking performances and i felt just absolutely enthralled from start to finish to be able to see them because while there is no staging while there is no costumes while there is no set to watch the acting happening on their faces especially with jessica chastain the capital a. is uh, is unbelievable uh yeah. it truly is unbelievable so while i understand that and in a lot of the Sam Goldiness of it all like i was thinking support about that, that yeah. thinking <laughs> yeah um 
interestingly enough, as Grace told me, Sam Gold is the husband of Amy Herzog, who wrote the adaptation and is mm-hmm. nominated for this. Um, this is not directed by, uh, by Sam, it's directed by Jamie Lloyd, but, um, I was captivated. Like, and, and the, the script by Amy Herzog, the adaptation is tremendous. It's unlike any doll's yeah. house you've ever seen, but, Really, really fantastic. I did see an understudy. Okarite in Ottawan was not in when, uh, when I mm. saw the show. I had his understudy who was, let me get the name here correct. Um, it, I believe it was Franklin, uh, Bongio, I believe is the name. I don't have the slip, but that's who is listed. Oh, wait, here we go. Yes. Franklin was, was that everybody Sweet. was great. So, uh, nice. that closes this weekend. So if you can get a ticket, feel, feel free. Uh, I would recommend that one, feel but free. really, really, yeah, feel free. It was, uh, was tremendous. All right. That is all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at no, this is Ashley. All right, everybody have a wonderful Wednesday and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>